Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to, uh, that then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing will. The Apostle Paul uses the words here, I urge you. And this means to highly recommend. To, uh, I sincerely want you to do this. I'm pushing you. I'm, I, I can't tell you, come on. You, I mean, this is with my son. I'm, I'm urging my son all the time. I urge you to listen to me. I urge you to do this. I, I really want you to do this. And this is what he's saying. He's, but he also uses the word, therefore. And we know that anytime this word is written, what does it mean? It means it takes into account everything that was just said. So using the word therefore, you have to take that into account. Because therefore is like the hallway that leads to the truth. You have to go through it to get there. So we have to stop and think, what have we been talking about? Well, let's go back and look. Romans 1, 1 through 11. Therefore, or he says here, I, uh, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in views of God's mercy. And he's, what he's going to do here is... He's going to go, he's going to, he's going to base something in Romans 12. He's going to take what he says in Romans 12. He's going to base that upon the mercies of God. So to go back for a quick review of the mercies of God, and, and, and we got to do this kind of quickly. It took some time to get through Romans 1 through 11, you know, all those chapters. Uh, Romans 1, Paul reveals that man had made some very sinful choices. Man who's created in God's image um, but we chose to ignore how we were created. We even suppressed the truth that God has made us, okay? God doesn't take this lightly. Romans 1.18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world's God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became foolish and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal things, being, mortal human beings, and birds and animals and reptiles." Verse 24, therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their, uh, you know, the desires of their heart and the sexual impurity from the degrading of the bodies with one another. They exchanged truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to the shameful lust. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so they gave them over to, their, uh, over to a depraved mind. Verse 29, they become filled with every kind of wickedness. Chapter 2, verse 1, you therefore have no excuse. Now we, we, uh, uh, verse 2, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. And then verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant hearts, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Okay, then we jump to chapter 3, verse 10. 
There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Verse 13, their throats are, are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers on their lips. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Uh, ruin and mercy mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then verse 19, the whole world is held accountable to God. Well, Paul, you've been so uplifting in the first few chapters of, the, uh, of Romans, aren't, haven't you, you know? I mean, really, if you, if you think about it, if you've read a lot of the Scripture, these three chapters are some of the darkest writings in the Bible. God says, even though you cannot solve this problem, you're going to be held accountable for it. Well, thanks. <laughs> now, when I was growing up, my house would get wrapped every so, so often. Now, you guys call it TPing out here in California, okay? But we called it wrapped, okay? Um, and, and I remember my dad, he would get so mad about our house getting wrapped. And, and he was mad at us, usually me, okay? Like, I called my friends over and said, hey, can you come over really late at night and just, just devastate our front lawn, you know? Because I want to get up at 5.30 in the morning and have to clean it up. Come on, just come, do it. But my dad acted like that's exactly what I would do, you know? I mean, the point is, I didn't wrap the house. There's nothing I could do to stop it. But I got the punishment and the consequence out of it. That's exactly what he's talking about. We are all guilty of sin against God. Every one of us. Now in Romans 3.20, thank God for His mercies because Paul turns the focus to the mercies of God, and there's so many of them. Jesus comes and provides the only possible solution for our life, and that's Him sacrificing Himself. Romans 3.21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in, Christ, in G Jesus Christ to all who believe, for all have sinned uh, sin and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption uh, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith he did this to demonstrate the righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate the righteousness at the present time so as to be just and be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, as we study and we've learned that God must, must retain his integrity, okay? God doesn't just say something and then later on goes back on what he says. God maintains that. He can't stop being just because we are unjust. He still wants to fellowship with us. So to satisfy that judgment, that punishment, he does this with the perfect sacrifice, which is by whom? His only son, Jesus Christ. That perfect sacrifice allows us to fellowship with God. Now chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So with God in this peace, we have this access because of it. 
And remember the Old Testament, who had the access to God? The priest, right? And really the high priest was the only one. Moses kind of started it out himself. But the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies, other than that, there wasn't a lot of access to God, you know. But now through Christ, we have become the kingdom of priests, to put it like that. For some reason, we take this for granted and we don't use it. We have total 100% access to God at any moment in time. Verse 6 of chapter uh, 5, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been made justified uh, uh, by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I mean, these are heavy things, and we've gone over a lot of these, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. Go back and listen to them. They're online. But then in Romans 6, Paul tells God, uh, tells us that God has broken the bondage of sin. He has broken that addiction that we have to sin. We don't have to view ourselves as addicts to sin. That's a good thing. We're still going to have the scars from that sin, We're still going to have a tendency to go towards that sin. And yes, we're still going to possibly fall into that sin. But the reality is that we have victory through Christ Jesus. The victory that lives inside of us. We need to have access to that victory when we are tempted. So the solution is right there. And this is a huge mercy for us. That when we are tempted, God provides a way out. And he prompts us through the Holy Spirit. That conscious in, in us, you know, we call it the, the nice angel on the, on the shoulder, you know. We call the devil the little angel on the, on the other shoulder, but the nice angel, that's what we call it, you know. That's kind of how we imagine it. But that, it's inside of us going, no, 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 this is a bad path. It's that uneasiness, that, uh, that, that feeling that, that God's sitting there sending, sending to you going, don't do it this way. Verse 22 of chapter 6, it says, But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we come to chapter 8, and most of the, uh, you know, this is uh, one of the most powerful writings in the New Testament is Romans 8. And it took us nine weeks to get through chapter 8. And we kind of rush through it, in my opinion, in a way. But it displays God's vast mercy and his endless grace for our lives. It's what Paul was talking about when he uses the word, therefore. Chapter 8, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, which, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption of sonship. Will we cry, Abba, Father? 
The Spirit testifies, Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the suffering in order that we may also share in the glory. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. You know, my wife uh, the other day said something. She goes, man, I just, uh, this person, I'm praying for them, but I just don't know what to pray for. And I'm like, exactly. That's how we all are. You know, most of the time we have no idea. And the scriptures even back that up. We have no idea what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that all things, and we should know this one, right? We know that all things that God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now that is mercy right there. All things work for good. (laughs) Now some of us may say, man, it doesn't seem like it's good right now. I can imagine a lot of my friends in Texas going, "Uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, not so good right now. Well, you're not done yet. Your story is not over. You're in the middle of the book. How many of you know the ending of the book when you're reading the, the middle of it? Okay, unless you've cheated or you've watched the movie, which is always messed up, you know. Movie never follows the real book, you know. It's like looking at the backside of a tapestry, you know. If you turn a tapestry over, it's a mess. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa God, why is all this black stuff right here? And, and that's kind of the difficult part of life, you know, as God weaves your life. You're like, God, there's too much black here. But you, it's a mess. And you don't understand everything until the end and you turn it around. See, God works it out for good. He'll even work out the dark parts for good. The stupid, nutty stuff that we choose to do to ourselves and to others. And that's the weird part. You would think that God would say, no, 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 uh, no, Alan, uh, that part I'm not working with. I'm sorry. You've totally destroyed that thread of your life. I'm not going to work with that one. But God doesn't do that. Even the dumb stuff, he takes the mistakes and he weaves them into this beautiful tapestry that we call life. Chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He will not, uh, he, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give all, us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God, it is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life. Is, the, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And, and you've got to remember this. We've gone over this too. Right now, he's up there saying, Father God, help Alan. He's talking and he needs help. And whatever you do, God's sitting there going, so-and-so, I mean, Jesus sitting there going, so-and-so, right? You put your name in there. They need help in this right now. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, 
neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Man, I mean, talking about mercies of God. So that brings us back to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that God has done for you and done for this world, in view of that, you need to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because of everything he's done. All you must do is offer yourself back to him. Now, I would say that's a pretty good deal, wouldn't you? I mean, what's the alternative? This is like trading in the old junker car in and getting a brand new car and not having payments. You know what I'm saying? It's a good deal. I think God is, uh, I think Paul has given us a great approach here. It's an approach that we can take up and in, in really witnessing to others. If we reveal God's mercy to other people, God's mercy in our own life, and forget about the scarring that happens to us, forget about the shaming that may come with that, they just might come to the Lord. They just might accept the Lord if you show them God's mercy. The scriptures say what? It is their kindness that leads us to repentance. And, and I, I should have called Josh and said, hey, let's do that song. You know what song I'm talking about, the kindness that leads us to repentance? No one. Well, we're going to have to get that on the list. It's a great song. Come straight from Scripture. And I've totally got off the slide, so let's see here. I can't see. There we go. To reveal God's grace and mercy. There's two ways to do this. Show people in Scripture. Someone says, how was your weekend? You go, great. Our pastor taught us stuff that we've already covered. Okay? And then you can start from there. And you can talk about God's mercies from Romans to us humans. I mean, just everything that's been going on. You show them in Scripture. And then the second way to do this is to open up your life and say, man, I've done some really screwy, dumb things in my life. Tell them about your mistakes. We like to hide our mistakes, but we need to open up about it. And you know what? It'll be okay. And then you say, you know what's really weird? God has forgiven me of these mistakes in my life. And he offers that forgiveness to anyone. If God can save a knucklehead like me, man, he, there's, there's hope for you. Okay, well, maybe don't say that to him like that, but you know what I'm saying. You notice that Paul doesn't say, I urge you in view of hell. I mean, that, in one sense, it, I mean, that's a good way to get people to accept Christ, right? I mean, you know, Andy, I know he's a brother in the Lord, but, uh, you know, we go to Andy, Andy, you don't want to go to hell. Let me tell you about hell. I mean, that'll scare anybody into heaven, right? I mean, hellfire and brimstone. I grew up in the South, man. You're talking about sermons that, you know, preaching and screaming, hellfire and brimstone. I've heard it all, okay? Scare people into heaven. But I don't think that really works that well, you know? I urge you in view of hell, or I urge you in, the, in view of your guilt and your shame. It's, man, Paul knows that those are only good short-term motivators. Paul is going for the long-term God gives us mercies, new mercies, every morning. So every morning we can get up with what? No guilt. 
You can pray for forgiveness, and the morning you wake up, there is no guilt. You don't, you don't, it's not like you go, oh, let me find that drawer of guilt. Okay, let me put this on today. No, 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 that's gone. The maid has come in and cleaned it up. Okay, I'm not trying to compare God to the maid. Okay, I'm not trying to do that. But I'm saying God comes in and cleans up all that guilt because you don't have to take it because he's forgiven you. You can get up and say, man, no guilt, and God is so good, and I think I'll give my life to him today. In other words, what I'm going to do, I give him my thoughts, I give him my actions, I give him my desires today. That's what we should be doing. Hey, Lord, take it or leave it. Here I am for you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word offer means to present or to yield or, you know, it's an action. And you've kinda, you, you kind of know when you offer it to someone, don't you? When you offer something and you have this action, you know it. You know if you've done this. Not just in your heart or your mind. He says, offer your bodies. The whole thing. Not just a check. The whole thing. You know, this would be like a, a, a child writing a check to you. You know, your child comes up, hey, Dad, I found, the, I found the checkbook. Let me write a check to you. And you're like, well, that's coming out of my account. What do you mean? You know, I mean, this, Brandon cracks me up. This week, uh, he decided he was going to make his own credit card. So he got out paper and he cuts, he puts numbers on it. I mean, he knows how, I, it's like he studied the credit card. He knows the numbers go on the back and, and, and my Costco card has a barcode on it. And he put a barcode on it. I mean, it was just cracking me up. And I'm thinking, oh, no, 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 no. That's my credit. You know, in a sense, you know, he uses my credit right now. But God wants all of us. God wants our whole being. Our bodies are the key to our behavior. Before we give ourselves to God, our bodies are often used for selfish things. But now that we're truly in Christ, He starts to change us, and we become not so selfish. And that's the key to allow Him to change us. Christ offered His body on the cross. So in turn, He's saying, it's time for you to offer up your body. Be my follower. Take up your cross, He says. When we offer our bodies, we become the temple. He puts the Holy Spirit in us. That's a good trait. The Holy Spirit is in us, in our bodies. We have the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is an awesome thing. Before it was flesh, our bodies was just flesh. Now the Holy Spirit brings that healing and that process into our body, you know, healing to our emotions, to our minds, healing to our relationships. We start to see things a little differently when God is involved. We become what Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. We become God's temple. It says, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a prize. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, our bodies is where the Holy Spirit is taking up residence. So wherever you go, the Spirit of God goes. Now, some of us would be like, yeah, that's a great thing. And then some of us may go, oh, you mean Friday where I went, God went. Yeah, that'll make you rethink some things, won't it? Wow. 
We have to decide to let him use it. We have to decide that. And once we've decided for once and all to let our old, sinful, and selfish ways go to the wayside, come to an end, our bodies now, the intention is to glorify God. Remember Romans 8.10, it says, but if, in, but if Christ is in you, then even your body is subject to death because of sin. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. So Christ is, you know, Christ's coming is... It completely redefines who we are and how we use our bodies. Therefore, in uh, chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So let me get a little personal here. Have you presented your body to God? I mean, we always talk about giving our hearts to God, right? Right? We give our hearts to God. But what about the rest of it? I mean, you can give your heart to God and you'll go to heaven. I'm not talking about that. I'm not taking that away. I'm not doing it. But, but he wants more than just our heart. He wants our whole body. He has given your body, uh, you know, I mean, he's given you the Holy Spirit. So the question is, have you responded by giving your body to God? Have you struggled with that? Some would say, well, I'm not sure. Well, I would say if you're not sure, then you probably haven't given your whole body, your mind, your, your spirit, your heart, I mean, all of it to God to say these belong to you. So what you look at, is it pleasing to God? When my eyes go somewhere, is it pleasing to God? Interesting question. What have you been looking at lately? What about your ears? What I hear, is it pleasing to God? What have I been listening to? These hands, what have they been touching? Has it been pleasing to God? These feet, where have they been taking me? Has it been pleasing to God? Those are the questions we have to ask. Now, none of us have perfect bodies. I know it's hard for you to, to imagine that by looking up here. I understand. But none of us do. But we still present it to Him. What I consume, what I say. So in my service to God, there shouldn't, you know, my body, they shouldn't do what God doesn't want them to do. My sexuality is given to God. How will other people know whether you've done this? How will other people know whether you've given more than your heart to God? They do it. They know by watching you. If I listen to you, by watching where you go, they could check your Facebook page, see how you talk, what you repost, what you share. And I know I keep bringing up Facebook, and you guys are going, you know, half the people here are rolling their eyes going, I don't even know what Facebook is. I'm not you know, even on it. And the other half are going, no, 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 don't bring that up again, you know. But I'm just saying that it represents what we believe. And if somebody's out there going, oh, well, that's what a Christian repost, it's a huge deal. It's important to be godlike in all areas of our life. If your body's presented to the Holy Spirit, it's got to be more than just a weekend thing. 
or a Sunday thing. It's got to be a 24-7 thing. We don't change, we don't control things based on what day of the week it is. And we can't change our life based on what day of the week it is, what city we live in or what city we're, uh, you know, going to, what friends we're around. You know, this whole idea of I have church friends, I have home friends, I have baseball friends. No, they're all friends. And you've got to act the same way in all those situations. You can't have separate type of things like that. It's not like we can just go, hey, let's convert the sanctuary to a brothel on Friday nights and Sunday mornings we'll convert it back. I mean, we'd be like, what? Get rid of that pastor. Who's, who's you know, come on. That'd be ridiculous. And this, it's the same way with our bodies. We would freak out if we did that in a sanctuary, but our bodies are more than the church building. This is just brick and mortar. This is carpet. It's sound. It's electricity. Our bodies have the Holy Spirit in it. We should be treating our bodies so much better than we treat a building. See, our goal is to give our bodies to God. So let's evaluate our bodies and what we've done over the past couple of weeks or the past couple of months or the past couple of years and say, is my behavior acting like I'm the temple of God? Hmm. Am I doing it part-time? Am I doing it full-time? Good questions. Now, again, no perfect bodies here, okay? So it's not like you're going to be perfect in this. But the scriptures say, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, living sacrifice is an interesting concept because in the Old Testament, sacrifices were, was a dead sacrifice. They would kill the animal. They would drain the blood. They would do all this. Sorry if we're getting, you know, we can go into all sorts of graphic things here, but we won't, you know. But, uh, I mean, they offered a dead animal as sacrifice. But we're supposed to be living sacrifices. Like Isaac in Genesis 22. He crawled onto the altar after his father said, this is what you should do. He was a precursor to Christ. As Christ was in the garden, he was saying, Lord, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way. And God said, nope, there's no other way. And he goes, okay. And he climbed up on the mountain and he went to the cross to die. To offer himself as a living sacrifice. We don't have to die for it. He did. The Old Testament was a little easier because sacrifice was dead. It would always be dead. No more decisions. But in our case, we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. Some of us get up on the altar as a living sacrifice. But we find ourselves kind of crawling off the altar. You know, my, we just put up a loft bed, you know, because bedrooms out here in California, we don't have closets, you know. Uh, you go back to Texas, the closet's like the size of the bedroom, okay? Um, so here we don't have, so we put a loft bed up in, in Brandon's uh, room, and, and Grayson loves it. He loves the idea of crawling up a ladder. He's two. <laughs> um, he loves the idea of let me climb over off the side. And this is like us with, with God. We climb up onto the altar and then we try to get down. Well, what's going to happen? We're going to get hurt. We're going to fall down. Brandon has the same problem. We're sitting down for dinner and there's a chair. Now we, before you, you, know, before you uh, go, well, you need to teach this young man. We have taught this young man how to sit in a chair properly. 
how to eat a meal properly. We've done our due diligence. But I tell you, it, it, it cracks me up. Sometimes he'll be sitting there eating and he will literally fall out of his chair and hit the floor, like unexpectedly. And his hands go flying. If he had a fork, the fork goes flying. And we're like, Brandon, get back up in the chair the right way. Sit the right way. This is like us offering our bodies to God. We get up on the altar as a living sacrifice and we're playing around and we fall down because we're not paying attention. We're squirming all over the place. Here's my point. If we climb down from being the living sacrifice, we don't get the proper feeding. We're like, I'm hungry for something. Brandon plays around too much for dinner. Guess what? Brandon doesn't get any dessert. Not that we have dessert every night to begin with, but I'm just saying. He doesn't get, you know, he gets hungry later. Guess what he gets? The meal left over for dinner. I put it in the fridge. Sometimes he gets nothing. We're like that. We're like, God, I'm hungry for something, but I crawled down from the altar too soon. We want anything that's not good for us. Candy, ice cream, popcorn, cookies. And God is saying, when you get off the altar, you don't get the nutrition that I have to feed you. And you want to fill that with anything that you can make yourself feel good with, right? And that's where we go into worldly things. We cannot be a temple on a part-time basis. This doesn't work in any area. Wedding day, it's not like I went to my wife and said, I love you so much, babe. I'll commit 80% of my time to you. The other 20%, I'm going to go out and find some other people, you know, but... 80%, 80%, hey, that's pretty good. The world only, you know, the world's like 50%, so I'm doing really, no, 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 no. It's 100%. It wouldn't fly. Football player, you know, coach, I believe in this team. Seven out of 10 plays, I'm just going to go for it. The other three plays, I'm going to play for the other team. What? It doesn't work that way with God either. Hey, God, really, I'm going to go to church every week. You know, that, that's a good job, right, God? Like God saying, yes, I got you on the weekend. Woohoo! No. God wants us all the time. Period. The good, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful, all rolled up. He wants 100%. This means in Tulare or Las Vegas or wherever, wherever someone will see you or not see you. The issue is not whether you can sin and get away with it. The issue is whether your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit now and whether you're allowing the Holy Spirit to be there. So the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you and you take it everywhere you go. See, this is where the people of God fall the hardest and cause really the most damage. It's areas of our life that we do not give over to God completely. It causes our moral downfalls. Thinking of a, you know, a college coach just recently that, uh, you know, on a company phone was calling some not so good call girl numbers. Yet he's been professing Christ and, and and pushing Christ, and you know he holds himself up to this moral equivalency, and that's good. We need more people doing that. But guess what? When you don't allow the Lord to be in charge of certain areas of your life, when you fall, you fall hard and it drags other people with you. Because the world goes, yeah, typical Christian. 
Now, we're not going to be perfect. We are going to mess up. I'm not saying that. He, he messed up. But he's okay with God because God's, you know, he's working through it and he's asked for forgiveness and he can move forward. But it's hurt a lot of people during the meantime. King Saul had this problem. He, to- he didn't totally commit to God. And I'm going to go through this quickly. You know what? Let me just tell the story because uh, just we, uh, time got away from us. Uh, the Lord said... Um, 1 Samuel 15, you can go look at it. It says, you know, basically says, I'm the Lord your God, and I'm going to anoint you. Uh, king is over the people, and I want you to listen to me. I want to punish the Amalekites for what they did to us as we were coming out of Israel. You were to destroy the Amalekites completely, okay? And this is why I gave out the DNA article, because it has to do with Canaanites, which they were also supposed to destroy completely. Now, did Saul do this? No. No, they, they destroyed mostly... And then guess what? <laughs> they kept all the good animals. And they kept the big king. They didn't kill the big king. Okay, of the Malachites. And God came and said, Samuel, what are you doing? I told you to completely destroy everything. And he's like, well, I followed the command of the Lord. I, I did. And, and God's like, what's this, you know, through the, through the prophet, what's this, uh, you know, oh, what's the term? Bleep, not bleeping. Uh, bleeding or whatever, you know, the, the sound that the animals make. Sam was like, I hear the animals over there. Come on. You see, Paul, Saul was not completely on the altar. He was trying to play both sides. Man, Saul was like, you don't even appreciate anything. The people did this, not me. I told them what to do, but, but they brought, you know, they, they decided. They, 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 and he's like, no. You were supposed to do this. It's better for you to obey than bring these animals for a sacrifice. See, Israel's first king fell because he was not fully committed. Now, when he made the mistake, he didn't own up to the mistake. There was no repentance there. Them, they, not me. I did what I was supposed to do. On and on and on. And his actions did not reflect what he said he believed. And in the end, it cost him even to the point of where a few years later in battle, he actually died what the Lord predicted. Cost him his life. Cost him being king of Israel. It was very important. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, in other words, completely set apart and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Now, the word true is the word uh, logican. Uh, it's where we get the word logical. It's a relational service based on what Jesus uh, uh, did. It's reasonable for us to offer ourselves in total commitment to him. That's the proper worship. It's what the priest does in worship. Paul is saying, uh, you know, we're doing the work of priest. So I think everybody needs to go out this afternoon, go find a store, get the robes, the collars for the men, the hats for the women. Okay, maybe not, I don't know. But we are followers of Christ. We are believer priests. It is a sacred act of worship when we give ourselves to God. Our heads, our shoulders, our knees and our toes, knees and toes. Eyes and ears, mouth and... Okay, well, sorry. Two-year-old at home singing. Um, some of you got that. Some of you didn't. Um, but you get my point. 
how we worship is in everything that we do. And we have to say, Lord, you have to help me in this. That's worship. Going to God and saying, I need your help because I cannot do this on my own. This is more powerful than when we write a check. This is more powerful than we sing praises. Worship to present ourselves as, to God as a living sacrifice is powerful because God wants obedience. You know, d- <laughs> you know don't, don't be like the child that's a little late, always kissing up to the parents' feet, you know, to buy love or whatever. You know, I'm sorry, I finally made it. Oh, I'm, I love you, Dad, because you bought this for me. Don't be like that. God wants obedience. God is a great parent. For our own good, we should obey God because it's good for us. And God works all things for the good for those who love him. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Amen? Well, why don't we stand up and I will pray and uh, that'll be it for the day since we are running a little late. So let's pray. Lord, it's so difficult for us to understand this concept of living sacrifice in many ways. We, we separate out our lives into different uh, areas. In some areas we give to you and some areas we don't, Lord. And I pray that you start chipping away with that. You start to, um, invading parts of our life that needed to be invaded. That you're the conquering king, but you're a godly conquering king. You want to take us toward glory. You don't want to take us toward destruction, Lord. And I pray that we open our eyes and see that. That there are parts of our lives that we're keeping from you. That we would start to understand that. And slowly or quickly give that part over to you, Lord. We need your help in that. We can't do it alone. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. When you turn toward him, he will accept it and he will help you. In the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful day.